0: What follows is an actual 911 call, where the dispatcher returns a 911 hangup. In more ways than one, it is hard to listen to, but this is real.
1: And then he was beating her up and laughing her and... Is she still there? It's like it's like, is he still there? He's trying to get in. Uh, okay, I'm going to keep you on the line, okay? You let me know if you gets send. Okay. Are you somewhere where you guys are safe, or where's your mom at? She's trying to quit in trouble. What room in the house that she is she in? Somewhere. somewhere? in the bathroom? Um, yeah, he's, yeah. Is that him knocking? Yeah. Okay, the door's locked, all right? Don't, yeah. let, don't let him in. I've okay, got officers on the way, okay, and any anyone to help your mommy? Hey, mom. <laughs> okay. No, mom, let him in. Does mom want to let him in?
2: like so many sins, domestic violence affects a community, not just two individuals. I'm Jim Luttrell and I'm here with Linda Wilk and we're here to talk to you about dating and domestic violence and our response to it. We respect the fact that there are individuals here whose lives have been touched by this. And we pray for you, and we pray for each of us here that today in these few minutes we'll hear a message, a message of truth and a message of hope. I'm proud to be here with Linda because she has been for some time a cheerleader in this community, a a poke in the back to law enforcement, to me in my office to many of us to become involved and engaged in domestic violence. And she's here to talk to you, as she has at other times on campus uh, for a few minutes about the realities of uh, teen and domestic violence.
0: I want to talk about how serious the problem is. We need to start there. You need to understand how much it touches our lives. I need the two sections right here in front of me to stand up, just stand up for just a second, right in these two sections. If you guys could stand up, right in these two middle sections right here. As you're standing up, I want you to look at each other and I want you to realize that that is about 25% of this auditorium, this chapel. That is how many people, your friends, your relatives, your coworkers, people you go to church with, at some point in their lives are going to be touched by domestic violence by someone they love they're going to hurt them physically emotionally verbally sexually they're going to hurt them one in four women you can sit down now i thank you for doing that i think sometimes it's helpful to illustrate just how serious it is because it's easy for people to say well i don't know anyone that's a victim of domestic violence i myself did not grow up in a home where there was violence i was blessed i thank god every day for my parents and the wonderful upbringing i was given But for so many and there's many in this room today that have been touched by it either they grew up in a violent home or they're currently in a violent relationship or possibly there's even perpetrators in this room jim and i want to bring a message of hope to you we want to share what it looks like so you know how to avoid it we pray that if you're in that situation right now that at the end of this you will realize that you need to seek God out, you need to seek us out, and help, get help for what's going on in your life. In addition to domestic violence, sexual violence is a piece of that. And you can see one in six women, one in 33 men have experienced attempted or completed rape. In other words, nearly three out of four Americans know someone who's a victim of intimate partner violence. Again, it's easy to say, well, I haven't seen anyone with broken bones or black and blue eyes, so I I don't know a victim. They're living amongst you. They're not telling you because they're ashamed and they're afraid, and they don't know who to turn to or what to say. So I'm going to go just a little bit through what does domestic violence look like. And we need to start with emotional abuse because, it's again, it's easy to see the broken bones and the black and blue eyes. And I'm here to tell you when it gets to that point, that's really, really scary. When it gets to the point of physical, there's a lot that has happened, there's a lot at stake, there's a potential for death. So we need to recognize where it starts. We need to recognize that emotional abuse, name-calling, mind games, twisting words, isolating our, who we say we love from their friends and family. That's many times where it starts, and that's what you have to pay attention to. Bottom line is if someone makes you feel uneasy, If you don't feel like I can say anything to my new boyfriend and new girlfriend, and I can feel completely calm and at peace with them, something's wrong with that relationship. Verbal abuse, words that might be used to demean, scare, and control. Yelling or name calling. Depending upon the situation, that abuser may never rise to the physical because they don't have to, because they have them right where they want them. They know if I give a cowering look at you, you know you've said too much. You know that if you continue to have this conversation about what's taking place in our house, when you get home, it'll be worse. So they don't even do the physical. But when it moves to the physical, when the physical starts, we're talking shoving, slapping, kicking, punching, choking, hair pulling. And we say that, or the abuser says, I love you. I didn't mean to hurt you, but if you had just not done that, or if you'd acted more like I wanted you to, or if you hadn't worn that dress, or if you didn't go out with your friends, I told you tonight was our night. You're my soulmate, remember? You don't need anyone else. And sexual abuse, again, it's important to realize it comes in all different forms. Financial abuse, we have victims that don't have any control over their money, have no idea what the income is, have no access to it, makes it difficult to leave. They're isolated. They don't know how to leave in the first place. But even if they could, their credit's been ruined. They don't have money. They have limited resources. And religious. God does not want us to be in an abusive relationship. God does not want religion twisted. God doesn't want to keep you from coming to worship. If that is happening, that is wrong. I'm going to have Jim come up and speak about a parable.
2: You know, lawyers get a bum rap sometimes, speaking as a lawyer. But it took a lawyer uh, to prompt Jesus to tell a parable. So you should thank lawyers. (laughs) An expert in the law, meaning to test Jesus, asked him, what do I need to gain eternal life? Jesus replied, as he so often did, with a question, how do you interpret the law? The expert in the law said, well, it's love the Lord your God with all your soul, with all your heart, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, correct. Do that and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, the man said, who is my neighbor? An I.W. senior was walking from Lodges to Elder Hall, the morning after having another blow up with her fiance. This time, there were bruises, and they would be hard to cover and harder to explain. The romance had started as sophomores and at first it was wonderful. But not long after some problems developed. He didn't hit her at first. It was more about control. Checking up on where she was and who she'd been talking to. And then criticizing her friends and being jealous of time spent with her family. Name-calling followed, demeaning names, and then in an angry outburst, stuff got broken. There was a smashed iPad and a shattered windshield. Apologies always follow, and often flowers and gifts, but the control remained. And so did her fear. And despite her concerns from her roommates and her family, she stayed with him. He needs me, she said, and I know he loves me. And so when he proposed, she accepted. He'll change. I'm praying for God to change him. The night before, he had choked her, then struck her, and then with combination of that violence and his words, the humiliation stripped her of her dignity. Through clenched teeth, he demanded to know who she was talking to yesterday and why she hadn't returned his text. He berated her. He told her she was fat and good for nothing. I warned you, he reminded her, I warned you. And he even blamed her for his loss of control. See what you make me do. He had hit her before, but this time he put his hands on her throat as he shoved her against the wall. He struck her so hard, she was dizzy for a time. And then he warned her, don't you ever ignore me again. She felt like she wanted to die. And that next morning, she walked to a class that she couldn't afford to skip hoping nobody would see the black eye and the bruise. Busy student leader passed her by near the student center. They recognized each other because they lived in the same floor in Martin Hall. Someone sure worked over that poor girl, thought busy student leader. I wonder if it was that creep we told her to get rid of last year. She was late for a missions planning trip, and shook her head and said, "What is it with some girls?" Distracted prof was on his way to Macon, it's found himself walking next to this woman, seeing her swelling cheek, red eyes. He recognized her. She was engaged to that what's-his-name that was in his class last semester. He was a good guy. Things don't look so good now. But he was uncomfortable and automatically found himself checking his emails on his cell phone. As they walked side by side, his growing guilt evaporated when she quickly darted into the restroom. And he was relieved. He was late for a meeting with his division chair. She stood in front of the sink, not even recognizing the woman who stared back at her. And then in walks Sarah. Sarah's a 30-something single mom who was on campus only because she had a job interview with facility services. Sarah recognized the fear and the pained look. She recognized those bruises. Sarah became a little girl again because she remembered i had seen my mom look in a mirror just like that. And Sarah had known abuse herself. Forgetting about her job interview, she walked up to the student, seeing someone in need She put her hand on her shoulder. Tell me what you can. I think I can help. And Sarah took the time to tell her about Hands of Hope, to tell her about people that would support her and understand and not judge her, but to help her get help and to give her hope. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the woman who had fallen among her abusive boyfriend? The one who showed her mercy. And Jesus said go and do likewise. Frederick Beekner, in talking about the parable of the Good Samaritan points out to us something important. Do you remember what Jesus said when they Expert had told him what the law was, do this, and Jesus said, you will live. This is a parable about life. There was a man in the parable in the ditch, half dead, but there was a man on the road who, until he stopped to help someone in need, was only half alive. Who are you? Until you stop and help someone in need, until you're a neighbor, and if you know about abuse in someone's life, you are that neighbor. Until you act, you are only half alive. Let's be fully alive as we reach out to those in need.
0: So before I talk about healthy relationships, I feel like I need to delve a little bit more into domestic violence. I really, really want you to clearly understand how manipulative it is, how controlling, how possessive it can be, because I don't want anyone in here to think, "Why doesn't they just walk out?" You know, why do they let it get to the point where the physical starts? It's so incredibly important to remember remember how subtle it is. How initially you just think, well, he's having a bad day or she's having a bad day. I know they had a lot of tests this week and so I need to be more sensitive, more caring, more understanding. And that's good, that's fine. But when you find that you're the only one being caring and sensitive in that relationship and understanding, if you find yourself continually saying, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to do that. If you start doubting yourself, if you start feeling like, somewhere I've lost myself. I used to enjoy going out with my friends. I used to enjoy doing this or that. And now all of a sudden you don't. You used to call your mom every Sunday afternoon. That was your time with your mom. And your new boyfriend or your new girlfriend said, oh, come on, how old are you? You don't need to call mommy, do you? Spend the time with me. What you don't realize is before you know it, you don't even call mom. And so mom doesn't know how to help you, and you're afraid to reach out to mom because you keep saying, oh, he's a wonderful guy. I can't wait till you meet him. When in reality, he's become your worst nightmare. And so the shame and the blame come into that. And then when it gets, like I said, you get so conditioned that you expect it. You start to believe that, yeah, he's right. I can't do anything right. I don't know why I'm still in school. I should just drop out because I can't make sense of my life. I'll just let him support me. I'll let her support me. So when you feel that way, when you start to feel that way, do two things. One, walk away. And the other is pray to God. Pray to God because he will come to you. He will be your savior. And again, if you grew up in a violent home, and many, many have, that does not mean you're destined to become an abuser. That does not mean that your life is forever going to be down this horrible, dark path. Because God will come into your life, and He will save you. But when He saves you, then He puts a command on you that says, go treat others the way I have treated you, the way I expect you to treat others. That means we have to be the model for others, the positive role model for each other. We have to look deep inside ourselves and make sure that we are who God wants us to be, that we are that beacon of hope for everyone else in the community. Only if I have high self-esteem am I going to find someone that, I, that will love me, appreciate me, and treat me right. Only then. So how about healthy relationships? Well, let's go to 1 Corinthians 13 and see what it says. And starting with verse 4. Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. Batters often are puffing up about how great they are. They bring themselves up by bringing their victim down, the one they love. They're tearing them down emotionally and verbally because I can't improve myself because I don't think much about myself, so you can't think much about yourself either. If I'm not going to feel good, you're definitely not going to feel good. They'll sab- sabotage them. They may literally delete that exam or that paper that their been, girlfriend's been working on for weeks. Now what are you going to do? How are you going to turn that in? Get that done in time. Verse 5, it does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Jesus came and died for us, washed all our sins away. So why would someone who says they love you keep a scorecard of all the wrongs that you've made in that relationship? Verse 6, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Verse 13, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. A positive relationship, you can see, it's full of respect and love and honesty and friendship. It respects boundaries I would encourage every single one of you when you leave, create a job description for what you want your partner to look like and do not settle. There is someone out there for you. When you leave this campus, you may not be engaged and that's okay. I wasn't 30 until I found my man.
2: Don't be shocked. Don't be shocked.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And I'm okay. I've got three beautiful daughters and a wonderful husband. God has a plan for you. Be patient and let God guide you. So what can you do? As I said, you have to assess your relationship. Is it healthy? And be very honest with yourself. Is it healthy? Once you've assessed that, if you find it's not, then again, there's services available. There's help for you.
2: I probably should disclose that I I didn't leave campus engaged when I was a student here. Uh, We'd been married for a year, so. uh, The scary thought is we met at freshman orientation. (laughs) I wanna wanna speak directly. This, This is everyone's issue. This is staff, this is faculty, this is student body. This is everyone's issue. I want to speak directly, though, to the men that are here. I want to know if we can make a commitment. Can we make a commitment? Maybe one that you've made in the past, but I want to know if we can can make a commitment today. I'm going to ask for three things from you. First, I want you to make it personal. I vow, as for me and my house, there will not be violence. There will not be fear. Are there any men here today who will make that vow? If I'm blessed with children, my children will know that I honor their mother. Is there anyone here? Any men here will make that vow. Can you make a vow that you will not judge, but you will protect and defend victims of domestic violence? And thirdly, will you speak up on your ball team, in your dorm, in your class, at your job? Will you speak up? Let me tell you, it may seem difficult now, but if you can't do it here on this campus, you'll never do it away from this campus. You'll never do it later. Now is the time. What does practice make? Practice makes permanent. However you practice, that's what you'll be. However you handle that issue now is the way you're gonna handle it later. I won't be so bold, can I ask any men here present who will make the vow, I'll make it personal in my life, I'll defend those who are abused and I will speak up in areas where I have influence. If you agree to those things, men here, will you stand? Will you stand? This is everybody's issue, but if it's gonna stop, we're gonna stop it.
0: As you can see, good relationships don't just happen. And hopefully you realize that. They take time, patience, and two people who truly want to be together. And as we close our part, I want you to know that there's local resources available to you. There's a 24-hour hotline that's on the screen. And if you feel more comfortable calling a national hotline, that's available to you too. I'm available after the presentation to speak to anyone. Again, you don't have to save anyone. All you have to do is be aware, be a vessel of God. Just make it known what your expectations are. And if you see someone that looks like they've had something going on in their life, just ask. Ask them what's going on and can I pray with you? Can I help you?
3: I'd like to greet you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me just share and be very transparent with you. As Jim and Linda were sharing, I was standing back there thinking I was going to stay calm. But you need to know I was shaking pretty. Because as they were sharing, you need to, many of you have already recognized, I've shared with some of you. I came from one of those homes that they're talking about where there was a lot of verbal abuse. There was a lot of domestic violence. The reality is that I thank the Lord for the healing that he's allowed to take place in my life. But you need to also recognize that I still carry a lot of scars. But I thank the Lord that I'm a Christian and because of Jesus Christ, I believe that there truly is victory, amen? Amen. And so the message today was sobering, but I want you guys to know those that stood up, my heart was touched. (laughs) And I hope that you keep that commitment. Will you do me a favor, will you just show your appreciation to these two again? In 1 Timothy chapter 2, we find these words. I urge first of all that petitions, prayers, intercession and thanksgiving be made for all people. For kings and all those in authority that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior. Billy Graham stated, it is a great privilege as well as our responsibility to pray for our government leaders. Well a few weeks ago different ones from our community approached me and. And came along and stated why don't we take a chapel service and spend a few moments praying for those that are leaders within our community and so what we're going to do this morning is that we're actually going to do that and we're going to ask if linda and jim that they will be those that because they're here they're going to represent all of the other leaders within his community this is the way i'd like to do it though i'm going to ask if jim and linda if you would stand kind of close to the edge of the stage I'm going to ask some of you that are in the front here, if you feel comfortable doing this, to come actually on a platform and lay your hands on them as we're praying. And then I'm going to ask the rest of you, if you wouldn't mind, if you don't want to come up here, to reach out your hands. That's kind of the old days way of doing prayer. And reach out your hands toward these as I say a prayer for them. So will you do me a favor? Will you as a community stand up? Will you reach out? Will some of the you that are in the front, if you feel comfortable doing this, come lay hands on these two servants of And as they're still coming, allow me to say a prayer. Will you join me, please? Will you reach out your hands towards them? Well, dear Heavenly Father, you who are God of power and might, wisdom, and justice, and through whom authority is rightly administered, laws enacted, and judgments decreed, please assist with your spirit of counsel and fortitude to leaders and public servants of our community. May they always seek the ways of righteousness and justice and mercy. Grant that they may continually be enabled by your powerful protection to lead with honesty and integrity. Fill each one of them with the spirit of your wisdom. May they always act in accordance with your will. In the daily deliberations of what you have entrusted them to do, help them to think clearly, give them wisdom for every decision that needs to be made, and grant them discernment and divine sense in order for them to be effective leaders. Father, please be their defender and protector. Help the leaders of our community to claim who claim to know you to be strong and courageous, standing firm in their faith and influencing others for your kingdom. Encourage and strengthen them, giving them all they need to be leaders and servants who are pleasing to you. May their conduct in both their personal and professional lives always reflect you and your glory. Help them to have a growing faith and help to remind them that no matter what they're facing day to day, that you're right there beside them to guide, as well as to empower, as they perform their duties for the good of others. Then, as someone has rightly prayed once, unless you, O Lord, omnipotent, keep the city of Marion, we cannot truly prosper and succeed. And therefore, we come to you, O Lord, placing in your hands the public leaders and the needs of our community. And Father, help us who are part of Indiana Wesleyan University to remember to pray for the leaders that you have placed over us regularly as well as consistently. And all God's people said, amen. Dear Father, again, I just want to thank you for this chapel service, for the words that were shared. My prayer is that as we depart from this place, that we truly depart, giving glory to you. And I pray this in your wonderful name, amen.